The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Knock that fire down, 19. Copy, Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! Fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to Dynamic Healing with two experts in chronic pain, David Hanscom and Les Aria. This podcast will show you how to unlock your body's ability to heal. Just breathe and learn how to rewire your brain and break free from chronic pain. Welcome to Dynamic Healing Podcast. I'm Les Aria. And I'm David Hanscom. And today's episode, we have a podcast hopefully you'll enjoy in preparation for the holidays called The Nightmare of Christmas. Now, the purpose of today's podcast is, of course, to help you with the additional demands the holiday season places on us. And that causes a lot more stress and contributes to the holiday chaos, right? So creating awareness of the triggers allows you to develop strategies to navigate them and enjoy your time with your family and friends. And David, how about a nice, cool quote from you? Well, Christmas stress is an overwhelming holiday. So I decided to a really simple quote. The quote is, don't get your tinsel in a tangle. How, how's that for a profound quote? quote. That was uh, pretty profound. Yes, the, the author is un, the author is unknown on that. Gotcha. I, I could even take credit for that. <laughs> anyway, so here's the deal. Um, I have been in in medicine for many many years. I did my um, internal medicine residency started in 1979, and I remember my first year as an internal medicine resident in Spokane that during the Christmas holidays that the internal medicine wards would fill up. So even though the elective surgery schedule dropped down, the hospital was always full with internal medicine patients, especially with people that had liver, liver disease and had you know bleeding from their stomach called GI bleeds. So that caught my attention right from the beginning. I go, huh, because you know Christmas to me, I hadn't paid much attention to it. As a kid, it was always sort of easy. Um, but as I started getting into the real world of patients and their troubles, it hit me pretty hard that patients during the holidays become very stressed and they get sick. And the other thing that hit myself, my conscience is that first year in practice, we had a clinic, it was a residence clinic, volunteer clinic for the patients. And there's a gentleman who's 80 years old, who again, known over the course of a year. I was his doctor, I was learning about chronic lung disease. And he was not super healthy, but he wasn't that sick. And he came in the hospital the week of Christmas, and, he, and within three days, he had passed away. Oh. And he died of pulmonary failure, and nobody could figure out what happened. Of course, we tried everything. And what we found out that his son, who lived in Seattle, had decided not to invite his father over to Seattle for Christmas from Spokane. That was it for him. He just gave up, and he passed away. He said, well, that's sort of a crazy story. but And I thought it was, too, except what we now know is that under stress, that your body chemistry changes dramatically and people really do get sick. And if you're already sick, that change in the body chemistry can make a dramatic difference in your well-being and your health. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, as you're speaking um, with that, uh, I do recall several patients when I was in my training to my residency, 
David, you, you speak the truth on that. An audience, I think you might have heard of several people, um, you know, when they're lonely. And the latest research, we're talking less than five years, points to the fact that the brain, when it, when it comes to heartaches and physical aches, the brain does not discriminate. Isn't that amazing when, when, when we lose someone or we're recalling the grief of someone who's passed away, right? That can stir up. I mean, it chokes us up. You notice you may develop some shortness of breath. Your, your pain intensity may rise. It's just mind-blowing that emotions can create such strong physical sensations as if you were in an injury. And for those of you, right, David, for those of us who've been in injuries and things like that that have healed, the brain can actually reactivate old injuries. Absolutely. I mean, let me just bring it down to the basic core concept is that, look, stress or your threats or circumstances change your body's physiology, which creates symptoms. That's it. <clears throat> stress, physiology, symptoms. And when your stresses are higher, your body chemistry goes more into fight or flight and you have more symptoms. So I want to point out, so we talked about the stress of Christmas with extra time and gift, you know, buying presents and traveling. There's lots of additional physical stresses, but the stresses that are the biggest ones are these, what we call triggers, these deeply activated circuits in your brain that really just explode with chemical reactions and you don't feel good. So I'm just going to go through this list really quickly and we'll discuss a couple of them. And we want to spend time on the solutions as well as the problem. And we're just point, I think we'll let's point out that every year Christmas comes along. We are excited about the possibilities. A lot of us have to come to dread Christmas because each Christmas that comes through actually turns out not to be meet expectations. So Christmas, as you get older, is sort of a mixed bag. But let me just list what I call the family triggers. Okay, so here's a couple of them. People drink excessively. A lot of people don't drink very well. They don't hold their alcohol very well. Another trigger is that people discuss their pain incessantly, their troubles in medical care and complain a lot, get into serious politics and parties. Um, also, seriously, I don't like to talk about this much. I don't think doctors do in general, but you know, a lot of people have had some pretty significant emotional, sexual, and physical abuse during the holidays by another family member. And that's something not to overlook um, because there's lots of denial that happens in that world. And just note that the families are your strongest triggers. They train your brain, they elicit the strongest reactions, and it's always that way. I always thought for many years that if a family member got better out of chronic pain, that their family would be cheerleaders and you know rah-rah and whatever. Families, I swear to God, every time actively oppose positive change. And we've talked about that in prior podcast, and we're not going to spend much time on that today, but your families are not cheerleaders when it comes to you actually healing because you're breaking a familiar pattern. You know, let's just mention that, you know, there's people that are obviously no longer there. They were there last year. Now they're no longer here. And it is. It's just sad. So, Les, those are about six family triggers. Um, do you want to mention one or two, two of those before we go on to the other issues around Christmas? Yeah, um, I think I, I think you said it really well. You know, there are different kinds of triggers that we all tend to um, engage in. Um, you said, like <laughs> Families are not your cheerleaders. Uh, the reality is, you're right. What David's talking about, dynamics that that really get changed. Um, you know, sometimes people get used to you being in a certain way, and you start to kind of set boundaries, say, you know, um, no or yes to what you want or don't want. It tends to be very activating. And one of them is basically um, 
one of the one of the worst things that we can actually experience is when we actually talk about um, your troubles and problems with family members that never have been there for you. It's really important. I'm recalling several of my patients who uh, last year and also Thanksgiving, uh, recent Thanksgiving, that is, they they were they were shocked that their family members were not supporting of them um, and weren't supporting of them in the sense that they were complaining about their pain and that activated them so much. What was funny was I asked this one question. I asked the question of, what is it that you were expecting to be different this year? So for example, last year they were triggered when they complained about how they felt like the family members weren't loving them enough and they were, they were expressing their, uh, their needs and the family members basically um, minimized. And sometimes one of the biggest things, uh, biggest triggers can be is when you have ridiculous expectations of yourself, others in a situation, we unnecessarily sort of burden ourselves. David talked about the stress response. And from a psychological perspective, whenever we have ridiculous, asinine, wackadoodle expectations of ourselves, others, and situations to change, that is what psychologically upsets us. That is what creates what um, David talks about a lot of, about anger and anxiety. And we just wanted to pause there for a second because that is probably one of the biggest triggers is expectations. Well, it makes you really bad because your expectation is you think about it all, all year round and the holidays often can be many pleasant memories from the past, but often very unpleasant ones. I mean, the holidays is where people get together, they enjoy each other's company and have fun. I mean, it's a structured time to do that. And if you're not able to pull that off, it's incredibly disappointing. And it often turns out to the opposite. You're looking forward to seeing your family and friends. You want to be with your family and friends. And then almost a high percent of the time, some bomb goes off and there's family chaos. So you need your family for safety and support. Yet we know in chronic pain that when people discuss their pain a lot, that they drive people away. And that's one of our basic rules of healing that Les and I both have in our groups and stuff is that when you're in a group of people, never ever discuss your pain, period. They can't help you. It's not their responsibility, it's yours. That also means no complaining, gossiping, giving unasked for advice, being critical. Mm -hmm. And just to be really clear, you wonder, well, well, why is Dr. Arya and Hanscom talking about gossip and family triggers in, in light of chronic pain? Remember that when you're stressed, when you're when you get triggered or anxious or frustrated, your body chemistry goes way out of whack, your inflammatory markers go up, your brain itself becomes inflamed, the conduction of your the speed of your nerve conduction increases, and you actually physically feel the pain. So this is not some casual, let's just make Christmas a happy time. Conversely, if you can relax and truly enjoy your family, we know that there's four social factors that actually lower inflammatory markers, which lower chronic pain. And this is by Dr. Danzer out of Austin, Texas. And one of them is hope and optimism, actually is anti-inflammatory. These characteristics actively lower your inflammatory markers. The, senses, the second one is a sense of control. The third one is social connection. And the last one is positive affect or positive vision. But think about this at the holidays. Okay, so your sense of control is gone because you can't control your family members. You have to be careful of that. Hope is 
good when you have it, but when it gets dashed pretty quickly with a family altercation, it goes the opposite direction. The one thing that Christmas can really nurture is social connection. That is where it's at. And it's highly anti-inflammatory for many different neurochemical reasons. And you can take advantage of it. That's what you want your holidays to be is a healing holiday. Then the final one is a positive affect and vision, but you can have that positive affect about the holidays. You decide you're going to do it, keep your eye on the ball, make it happen. But remember, holidays can actually disrupt those actual things that lower inflammatory markers. So it's your responsibility to establish social connection, keep your affect or mood positive. The sense of control is you can't control the people, but you can't control yourself. Yeah. And so, um, David, I'd like to, um, since, I mean, those are all wonderful guiding tips there. I'm just wondering, uh, when I ask the audience this question, is last year, think of last year, and think of maybe the stress that you experienced, or maybe some of you didn't experience it, but for those of us that experienced um, a little bit more stress than usual during the holidays, especially towards as we head into Christmas, the question I have for everyone is this. What is it that you experienced and what is it you're going to do differently this year? Because like Groundhog's Day, the movie, it will repeat itself. And if you don't have a plan and if you don't have realistic expectations, you know, David talked about hope, right? Talked about hope, a sense of control, social connection, you know, really just kind of having the best um, outcome possible here. But one of the things I want everyone to ask yourself is what will you do differently? For example, instead of driving to two or three different places, you may just opt to say, look, I'll just kind of come by for a quick hello, or you will kind of come the next day. The question here is this, what will you do differently this year? This is the sense of control and expectations that if we can regulate, you're actually gonna better regulate your stress response. Because if you think about this is kindness starts with you. If you can be compassionate and kind to yourself and not overextend yourself, because it's, a, it's insane for us to kind of think there's one special day or one special week, one special month, the Hollywood move, movement is what I call it. You heard it in the last episode about not letting people steal your jewelry during the holidays. And this is just an extension of it and, and emphasizing to everyone is be realistic and do things differently. Because one of the things that gets me going often is that is when I expect my family members to be different and lo and behold, they're not. But I wanted to pause here uh, even more here and David and uh, look at your thoughts on this is one of the things that has helped me and see if it's helped you or not is very often when I start to feel um, snappy or maybe I realize maybe uh, someone said something unhelpful. It could be a friend, a family member. It could be a message. It could be where someone says, you know, Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. And you're like, wait a minute, where's my gift? Not that we go around looking for gifts, but let's just say something happens between you and a family member. You know, one of the things you want to do is you want to have a plan on how you, how you plan to deal with it. <clears throat> one of the things I do is I'll excuse myself from the table. So I got to use the restroom. By the way, here's a quick tip. No one will ever, ever stop you for the most part when you say, you know what, hold that thought. I need to go use the restroom. 
get up and go use the restroom. That's my line, David, it's worked. It's worked in meetings. And um, hopefully my boss is not listening. <laughs> you have to go to the restroom right now. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I basically say, hey, listen, um, I'll be right back. It's my way of saying is if I open my mouth, I'm going to say the wrong thing. So we have some strategies, so let's just mention one of them, anticipate the triggers. In other words, think about last year, what happened, what quote ruined your holiday if it was ruined, um, if it wasn't ruined, what can you do to make it better? So anticipate the triggers and what's going to happen. And the bottom line is, why should somebody else's bad behavior ruin my holiday? Right. We tend to blame that person, but the reality is the responsibility is 100% ours. So Les and I have said this multiple times, you know, be the change that you want to, see, to be to other people. So no matter what happens, no matter what the circumstances, use your breathing tools, whatever tools you take to keep yourself calm, but you want to be that source of light. You don't want to use other people as your source of light. I mean, it works paradoxically as you become your own light. It spreads, it comes right back to you. If you come in in a bad mood, there's a process called mirror neurons. You precip you'll precipitate the bad mood neurons in Les's brain, and it'll come right back at you. And so if you're the person who flat out can be content, connected, you don't have to be the life of the party, that's not what we're saying, but just get happy. Just enjoy yourself. As you enjoy yourself, regardless of what other people say or do, if somebody's really irritating you, just go to a different room. Go to the, <laughs> go to the bathroom, I guess. Yeah. You know what, David, that's the thing I, I recently in the, with my group um, that I was teaching them is that when you have difficult thoughts and difficult emotions and or physical sensations that you're struggling with and you are dealing with now um, maybe an unruly family member or you're dealing with someone who's just not, you know, a mother or father, you could be in your 40s, your 50s, it's 60s. It doesn't quite matter. When we have a family member that seems to try to exercise authority over us, we get really activated. And so one of the most important things is to be able to learn, as David's saying, is how do we deal with that moment? And values, V-A-L-U-E-S, values. When you have a difficult thought, emotional, physical sensations, values helps undermine those painful, difficult thoughts and emotions. Undermines basically means is this, that sometimes when we are activated, we have a flooding of uh, lots of memories, images, uh, storylines, narratives we hear in our head. And what happens then is we become drunk with the mind's storylines. And one, one way to undermine the mind's storylines, so that way we don't fall you know, to trap to the old behavioral patterns of reacting or feeling victimized or feeling controlled by a person, place, or thing, is to use values. Values by definition, is a mental quality of action. And it can be- I'm sorry, it so be, it's what now, Les? It's a mental quality of action. If, okay. you, if you wish to be, and, and how, do you, how do you solicit a value during a difficult moment is as you're going to this Christmas party or as you're going to dinner and hang out with family or friends, and you know this is very activating for you, besides the obviousness of maybe, you know, learning to limit your time there, setting expectations, taking care of yourself, the breathing tools. One of the things I want everyone to do is write down how you wish to be during a difficult moment when you come across it. And the question that's begged to solicit the value is, how do I wish to be during this difficult moment towards myself and this other person? 
So for example, mom, if you're listening, this is not about you, but just for example, my mom, my mom, <laughs> I talk a lot about my mom. When my mom triggers me and she says something that she thinks is helpful, but I think it's really unhelpful and unnecessary. You know, I'm a grown man. And when she makes a comment, what I do at that moment is when I'm feeling activated, I feel this anger or anxiety that rises within my body. And the moment I notice that sensation, the first thing that I hear, because I've been doing this for a while, is I practice by asking this question. The moment I notice a mood shift, tension shift, or my breathing shifts, just like we mentioned in the previous podcast, the moment I notice some sensation shift in me, I know the past just dropped into the present moment, the living room of my mind. And when I notice something is showing up that I don't know what it is, it feels like anger, it feels like anxiety, it feels like shaming, I simply beg the question, how do I wish to be towards myself and this person during a difficult moment? For example, I wish to be kind. That was my value. And so then my my words would be expressed. So, so if you pick a value such as love, kindness, for example, how can you express that? So you can express your chosen value through words or an action. So I simply would say, hey, mom, sounds like that was... Um, sounds like you're trying to be helpful to me, but right now that's not helpful. But thanks, though. I know you're trying to help me out. And I basically say something like that from a place of kindness. So let's repeat that one more time. When you have difficult thoughts, emotions, and sensations, when you're activated, use any of the tools to calm your nervous system down or the stress response, as David calls it. When you're doing those tools, also ask the question is, how do I wish to be during this difficult moment towards myself? I wish to be kind. And I would hear something like this in my head. It's okay, Les, just hang in there. All is well. You know who you are. And then I might say something to a family member like, hey, you know what? That was not helpful. And um, But thanks. I know you're trying to be helpful. But in this moment, that was not. I smile and I get up and I walk away. My point to you is this. Identify how you wish to be towards yourself and the other person when you're activated. Identify your values, love, kindness, courage, confidence, and so on and so forth. So, <clears throat> right. One step, one little take on that is that I'm also, I've mentioned this before, developing an awareness of what other people are seeing. In other words, I'm in a mood, I'm reacting. Mm -hmm. And so what are you seeing when I'm in that mood? And it's sort of humbling because generally if I'm upset or snappy or whatever it is, I don't look so good. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I look that good anyway, but I look worse. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying in general, when I start visualizing what other people are seeing, when I say something, it's, it's been extremely humbling, number one. I don't necessarily like what I'm seeing, and it's not great when I'm angry. And so it's just been a major factor to create a little bit of a space, a little bit of awareness. And then I know we mentioned this multiple times, but it's becoming a tool that many of my patients have used called 532 stands for five words, three words, two words. And when you're activated or in a reaction, the first five words are no action in a reaction. In other words, when you're reacting or activated, your, your thinking brain is actually not functioning very well. Your survival brain's in full force, which is much stronger than your thinking brain. You just can't do anything. I mean, you can't hide it. Your body language, your tone of voice all express anger, frustration. Right. And so you can just sit down, take a deep breath and leave. But whatever you do, don't take any action verbally or non-verbally, except maybe leave the room when you're reacting. 
The second thing is, um, this is a different discussion we call flipping the switch, is that anger is so powerful, nobody ever wants to give it up. You can talk it out forever. It's always going to be there. And so the bottom line is you just decide that, okay, I've been a victim long enough. I'm tired of this. I'm going to just go a different direction. And it is incredible how effective that is. I'm just blown away with it personally and also people that use it. It seems way too simplistic. How do you solve anger just by flipping the switch? And so it's not suppressing. It's just truly feeling the anger. And then you just, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go a different direction. Then the final two words is just, the final two words is just move on. And so five, three, two, no action, any reaction, flip the switch and move on. Um, I, I think that's very powerful in the sense that you're making a decree on how you wish to be. Seriously, it, it's just a another uh, very organized way of, of expressing values. I think it's really, really powerful. Um, you know, one of, one of the things uh, that comes to mind talking about, you know, influencing your nervous system, being in charge of your stress response during when you were activated. Hey, folks, you cannot have authority over your mind and body without responsibility. And what that means, what that means is you want your activation, your triggers inside of you to settle down. You want your thoughts to settle down. You want your emotions to to go away if it's bad or your physical sensations to just kind of subside. You can't expect your mind and body to listen to you when you don't show up. You only show up during the good times. So you cannot have authority over your mind and body unless you show some sense of accountability. And what that does that what does that mean? Waking up in the morning, especially when you know it's going to be a stressful week, make sure you take time for yourself. Self-care is self-love. It's a it's a greatest form of expression of self-love is when you actually take, whether it's 10, 15, 20, 30, an hour minute, an hour in the morning, is especially on stressful weeks, David, one of the things I do is I actually do extra self-care. So I might take more frequent breaks throughout the day. I might pull away from the digital, from the movies, from everything, and just kind of kind of de-stimulate myself. But having a morning routine during a stressful week or day is important. And the second thing I want to also emphasize is this, is that's very helpful for me and many of my patients, is if you anticipate a stressful day or a stressful week, when you have family members coming to visit or you're going to travel an hour, two or three hours, wherever you're going, here's the fact. Make sure you work in some movement. Movement mobilization of your nervous system is required, especially when you anticipate stressful things. It's a way to de-energize your nervous system and influence it. It's a way of actually creating safety physiology. What that means is take a walk, check out from your digital stuff, your phone, the Netflix, go for a walk, pull away. And by the way, as David, you know, talking about 532, you know, that, that that's a great, great intervention. And um, one of the things I want folks to do is when you take a walk is think of three, is see, th you know, identify three things you see and maybe two things that you feel and one thing that maybe you um, can hear. So you can use different mindful interventions of just getting away from things and people to ground yourself, regardless of what tools you use. It's about creating and investing in safety physiology. And in doing that, your mind and body will tend to listen to you when you say, go ahead and settle down, calm down. So you cannot have authority over your mind and body when you're not putting time in safety physiology. So what I'd like to do, um, 
and this is what I thought would happen with this podcast because it's a huge, massive topic, and we put out some concepts and some strategies. So I like to maybe spend just a little bit extra time here at the end trying to pull everything together that we just discussed. So let's just review a second where we started is that we talked about that there's extra stresses of buying gifts and traveling, et cetera, that uh, make Christmas more stressful just from a pure time standpoint. Then there's a huge problem that's much a big problem called triggers. And trigger means that something in the present activated something from the past and your body reacts to the chemical reaction and you feel anxious and frustrated. So that's going to happen because your families are the deepest triggers. So unless let's try to keep me on track here a little bit. Um, So families are the deepest triggers. It's going to happen every time. You may not, it may be at a low level, maybe at a big level, but these triggers happen. So I think Les's first point is really just anticipate. So first of all, unmeetable expectations is a problem. And second of all, just expectations of people are going to behave differently than they did in the past is wrong. And just assume they're going to behave the way they're going to behave. But when Les has pointed out, what are you going to do? In other words, why let this person's really bad behavior destroy your vacation? Why even worry about anticipating this might happen? Because you you have choice about your response, because you have the tools. Um, We talked about that um, families actively oppose change. There's a memory of people who are no longer there. There's a history of prior abuse during holidays. It tends to be worse because of drinking, et cetera. So there's a lot of positive memories around the holidays, but it's also... I, unless, well, I think second on this one, that when you can acknowledge the negatives as opposed to covering up pretending that, that they're not there, mm-hmm. you have a much higher chance of actually dealing with them. Yep, absolutely. Very well said. A nice summary of that. And you know what, David, sometimes um, I feel sad. Many of my patients are alone sometimes. Um, and um, and here's this, make a plan. If you if you don't have family members and you don't have anyone, it goes back to what David said again, as, as David and I saying, is, you know, expectations. So so set your expectations. Instead of saying, is, I'm going to be depressed because I don't have family members around, no one loves me, make a plan. Go out to dinner, take yourself out to dinner. Um, you know, like I said, get out and about um, where people are around. Just being around people sometimes can be helpful for you, whether you know them or not. Get out and about. And um, you know, whether you're going to go Christmas shopping or not, but loneliness, have a plan on what you plan to do. You know, sometimes giving, David, um, there was a couple of studies done, David, for people who are lonely, they, they found out that when they give, um, when they help someone else, for example, you bake some cookies and take it over to your neighbors, that seemed to actually reduce that sense of uh, the punishment of that that feeling of that loneliness that's very physical. So that's been very, very helpful. But I just wanted to emphasize, uh, as David and I have mentioned this also, is this is, you know, uh, Christmas is not just the happiest time of the year. It's every day is the happiest time of the year. If you make sense out of what you're grateful for in this very moment, I keep reminding myself, and David and I emphasize this, is be in the present moment because this is where joy, love, and peace actually begins. Well, and also make a basic decision, just flat out enjoy your holidays. I mean, just flat out, um, just just make a decision to enjoy them. So, yeah, make a decision to enjoy your holidays, make a plan and move forward. And, um, you know, just decide to be happy. Yep, I like that. It's a choice. So you have the choice, right? So right. there we go. David. Dr. Aria, thank you. Dr. Hanscom, folks, we want to wish everyone happy a holidays. holiday. And, um, Look for more of this um, tips to come as the weeks go by.
David and Les would love to hear from you about today's podcast and any ideas for future topics. You can email them at david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. That's david-les at dynamichealingpodcast.com. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.